we've had, Judy and I have had some questions about um, uh, our move, and, and just so you know, we were able to move all our things into our home this week. Um, a lot of things we don't know where they are. Um, we, <clears throat> we've not found our silverware or dishes, but uh, other than that, we're, we're doing fine. It'll, it'll probably take us a few weeks. We're kind of living amongst boxes. How many of you have done that before? Yeah, yeah, you know where we're at. So, yeah, just don't visit us yet because it's a disaster, okay? How many of you believe in miracles? I hope we all raise our hands to that. Miracles seem to be part of the subjective world of experience. Some people claim to have seen a miracle, and some people claim that miracles don't exist, or they said, I've never ever seen one. Following the terrorist attacks on September 11th, the attack on the Trade Towers and the Pentagon, we heard of many attested miracles that happened, examples of divine intervention, things that just seemed to happen. One such happening was highlighted by a television news crew. At the World Trade Center, a custodian just happened to get on an elevator going up to the 80th floor with six other people. The elevator came to an abrupt halt due to a power failure caused by the jet crashing into the, the building above them. When the smoke started seeping in this, this elevator that was stranded, they forced the doors apart and found themselves facing a sheetrock wall, just a solid wall of sheetrock. They tried in vain to try to break through the sheetrock and found it as, as impossible. But the custodian, who had just gotten on the elevator, had a squeegee, a squeegee. And with this improvised tool, they dug and chipped away at this double-layered sheetrock wall until there was an opening. Then they broke through the sheetrock and all six of them escaped down the stairwell, exiting the building just before the building collapsed. Was it a miracle that the custodian got on that exact elevator at that exact time with that exact equipment? Well, the people on the elevator would say, yes, it was. Miracles. We hear of miracles all the time. Unusual occurrences that, that are explained only in supernatural terms. The news account of a lost baby girl in Africa that was protected by three lions who stayed with her until searchers arrived to rescue her, then they melted away and disappeared. Most people today in America believe in miracles, the intervention in human affairs by a divine being. And many would say that they have experienced or seen a miracle. So how do miracles happen? What, what brings a miracle about? Who decides and who performs the miracle? Those are all questions we'd like to find answers to. Now, we don't have time to exhaust the subject of miracles today, but we can look at one particular miracle in the life of Jesus. This is a time that he was demonstrating again, his power to save the planet. Five elements today of a miracle in the making of a miracle. And I'd like us to, to look at the story in Luke 7. It's on page 838, 838 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Luke, the seventh chapter, and we're going to start with verse 1. Luke 7, verse 1. The making of a miracle. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and there was a centurion servant whom his fat master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him, asking him to come and heal the servant. 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and he turned into the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. If this were a drama, we would discover that the two main characters never appear on stage, the centurion and the servant who was dying. But this was their story. A military officer in the Roman army, very well thought of by the Jewish people, needed a miracle. We want to look today at how this miracle came about. The first element in the making of a miracle is a crisis of need, a crisis of need. This military man likely had a lot going for him. He had all the advantages of a successful career, a great reputation as a benevolent leader. Benevolent people are usually pretty happy. They liked their life, they liked their circumstances. He was probably wealthy since he had built a local synagogue at his own personal expense. He was connected. Life was pretty good for this first century Roman military man. But as it happens, sooner or later to each one of us, he experiences something he could not handle. A crisis of need, something bigger than he can handle, a circumstance out of his control. An obstacle, a problem, and he had no solution. He could do nothing about it. His valued, trusted, and loved servant was dying. And in Palestine at this day, servants were like a member of the own family. So to have something happening to one of your servants was like having something happening to a member of your family. It was a crisis. It was a need. And the first element in the making of a miracle is a need that we don't have the solution for. Now, we know from all of our lives that God allows circumstances in your life and mine to help us see our need. God allows things to come into our lives, obstacles, problems, situations out of our control. Money can't solve it, medicine won't cure it, and mediation won't resolve it. It's beyond our ability to find a solution. So we say, I need a miracle. I need God. I need God. This man had it, we have them. The second part of a miracle is credible information. Number two, credible information. Verse three says, this centurion heard of Jesus. This centurion heard of Jesus. What did he hear about Jesus? He was a carpenter, he lived in Nazareth. He was a star in his high school rugby team. He graduated magna cum laude from Jerusalem U. No, he didn't hear any of those things. All he heard was that Jesus had done miracles. He had heard stories of Jesus' healings, of Jesus' teachings, that Jesus had love and compassion. He didn't ask Jesus to come and speak at his, at his servant's funeral. He asked Jesus to come and heal his servant. Credible evidence about a God who cares, a God who intervenes on behalf of his people. That's what he heard. He heard about this Jesus who performed miracles and cared about people. 
in the middle of tragedy and pain, hearing about Jesus produced something. We talked about this last week. Passage is already up there. There's something called faith. Romans 10, 17 says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Credible information, a credible message, hearing about Jesus produces faith. People need to hear from us. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear the message of Jesus. The fact that people matter to God and he loved people so much that he sent his representative, Jesus, to bring life, to bring healing, to perform miracles, the supernatural. Back then as now, we need credible information. People need to hear the story of Jesus and why it matters and why it's relevant today. Jesus cares and will meet people's needs. He does miracles. He did them then, he does them today. And it was that message that this man heard, this information, that brought the next element of the making of a miracle. Number three is hope with faith. Hope with faith. In the middle of an impossible crisis, no possibility of helping this guy live, the message brought hope and faith. Good information, God's word produces hope and faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Could this man see the power of God? Can we see the power of God? Do we have faith in things that we don't see? Do we ever exercise faith in things we don't see? Can you see how that antibiotic helps your, your sickness or disease? We take it by faith. If you take a statin for, for high cholesterol, do you, can you see how that works? Maybe you take a a blood pressure pill, or you take something else, some, some kind of a medicine, and you can't see the result, but you, you can't see how it works, but it works. We do a lot of things by faith today that, that we can't see. And as we talked last week, faith can't be just in some kind of a ethereal thing. Faith has to have an object. And this man's faith was focused on Jesus. Jesus. Faith is always in something or someone. Faith is not the abstract concept of fatalism. Some people say, it'll all work out in the end, or as long as the, as, as the fates allow. We, we use this term fatalism. Fatalism is not faith. Fatalism is not Christianity. Faith in Christian belief is directed at someone in whom we believe and trust, a person a benevolent, loving God who sent Jesus so we could understand intellectually and be redeemed spiritually. The making of a miracle begins with a credible message about Jesus in whom we place our hope and faith. And the question is, in your life today, just where you are, just think about your life where it is today, what do you place your hope in? In what is your faith? Is it in the stock market? retirement income? Is it in your business? Is it in your job? Is it placed in your family or your spouse? We should have faith in our family and spouse. Is it in your doctor or surgeon? Is it in your therapist? Is it in your children? We ought to have faith and belief in all of these things, but when our crisis of need transcends what we can, we can handle, and it transcends all things human, our hope and faith must be placed in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then we have the beginning of a miracle. That's the beginning of a miracle. 
In crisis of a need with credible information, hope and faith in Jesus, the man takes the next step in the making of a miracle. It's to recognize Jesus' authority. Recognize Jesus' authority. In verses 6 through 8, very profound passage of Scripture, says, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Wow. These words are among the most profound in all of the Bible. The soldier's faith is simple, but it's not simplistic. He recognizes that all authority, all authority comes from God. And that in itself is remarkable for a pagan, pagan Roman. The Roman centurion understands authority. He understands the chain of command and illustrates it from his own experience. As a military officer, he received orders and he gave orders. But he couldn't give orders unless he received orders. That had, there had to be a sequence of events, a chain of command. And he had come to expect obedience to his commands. He understands that the extent of his authority is determined by the authority over him. So he is under Caesar's command, and his authority is granted by Caesar. He can only do things that he has been granted authority to do. Does that make sense? Make sense? Okay. Those of you that have been in the military can relate. You can say, I know exactly what you're talking about. The rest of us, maybe not so much. How many of you served as a school patrol in grade school? Anybody? Okay, come on. Don't be embarrassed. That's okay. I did too. I, I remember we were living in Faribault, Minnesota. I was in sixth grade. And I was given a badge, a belt, a hat, and a flag. And I was given authority. Okay. By the state of Minnesota, I could step out in the intersection and I could put my flag out and cars stopped. Wow, that was, that was, that was trippy for, a, for someone in sixth grade. It's amazing. The government gave kids authority and people actually obeyed them. A child stopping two tons of steel. Have you ever tried to stop a semi-truck? You dig your, dig your heel in and push and hold back, whatever. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yet, a police officer can stop a multi-ton rig with a palm of his hand. How can he do that? He just raises it up, says stop. Why can he do that? Because he's been given authority to do that by the state of Wisconsin. All he has to do is raise it up. And the whole state of Wisconsin, the authority from the state of Wisconsin is behind that hand raised to say stop. That's granted authority to him. Authority is given, and it's authority exercise, and it's powerful. And so we understand some of the ways that we exercise or have authority exercised in our lives. Well, the power of God resided in Jesus, and still does. And all Jesus had to do was speak the word, and it was done. He was God of the universe, the Lord of the universe, the centurion recognized that and he said, just, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus didn't even have to be there. And this guy made it clear he didn't even consider it necessary for Jesus to be present in order to perform the miracle. Well, what authority was Jesus under? Okay. He was under authority. He was and is God. 
He was under authority to God the Father. Jesus lived in submission to God, his heavenly Father. There's an interesting passage in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 talks about his relationship to authority when he was on earth. Verse five of chapter two says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Sound like authority? Every knee should bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 28, 18 says, all authority, Jesus says, in heaven and earth has been given to me. The authority was wielded by Jesus because Jesus had always been perfectly yielded to the Father, God the Father. Now, how all that functions within the Godhead, the community we know as the Trinity, is a whole study in and itself. So we're, we don't have time to do that, and besides, I wouldn't be able to explain it, because nobody can explain the Trinity. There was a relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and in this particular instance, it says that Jesus exercised his authority because he was under the Father's authority. So do you want a miracle? Do you need a miracle today? The first step in this is to recognize Jesus' authority to perform them. The fifth element of a miracle is place ourselves under Jesus' authority. Place yourselves under Jesus' authority. The question I have to ask you, is Jesus your leader today? Have you given your life to him? We call it making Jesus our Lord or having faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus. And belief in Jesus, as we've talked about, is much more than just an intellectual exercise. It means placing our faith and trust in Jesus, like the centurion places faith and trust in Jesus. And his actions demonstrated that he was under Jesus' authority. He recognized that the entire physical realm, even sickness and disease, even sickness and disease, were under Jesus' authority. Therefore, the only answer to his problem resided with the person of Jesus Christ. He recognized he wasn't worthy for Jesus to come to his home. And it says this, Jesus was amazed and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. That is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. Israel was the monotheistic nation who were the recipients of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the promises and the exodus and, and the Messiah was gonna come through, through them. And he said, in all of Israel, I haven't found faith like this one Roman. Absolutely amazing. Why? Because he understood authority. His faith, demonstrated by his actions, placed this man under his authority, and Jesus, he said to Jesus, do whatever you will. Those are, those are uh, dangerous statements. Jesus, do whatever you want to. That's something that we hold back. We don't like to do that. Every day, everyone today is a law unto themselves. We, we like this American ideal of freedom, autonomy, and independence. 
I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody. Don't tell me what to do. Until all of a sudden that we face something we can't handle on our own. And God says to us today, recognize your need, recognize Jesus' authority, place yourself under Jesus' authority, and I will make a miracle. People today don't like to be under authority. It seems kind of un-American. Every place we go, actually, we're under somebody's authority. You drive on the freeway, there's a highway patrol. You're at work, someone is in charge, or ought to be. Even CEOs answer to their boards. Business owners answer to their customers, their regulators, the IRS, and it goes on and on. In a restaurant, the mater d' tells you where to, where to sit. Not long ago, Judy and I went to a restaurant. They said, sit wherever you want. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so how does authority work in the church, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God? God set up the church, okay? And this is very important for us to grasp because if you're part of the body of Christ, the church, God has set it up in such a way to make a difference in this world. God set up the church, Jesus is the head, and he has placed leaders. As your pastor, I exercise authority only as it is given to me. Every church and denomination works differently, but first and foremost, as the leader of this church, I am accountable to God. I'm accountable to a superintendent who's the denominational head. And then, when I look at the church, I'm the chairman of the board of the church, but I'm also accountable to the board. Okay, you think this is confusing. I, I both lead the board and work for the board. I lead the congregation, but work for the congregation in servant leadership. It's really complicated being a pastor. You know, whether you're coming or going. However, I can only exercise the leadership that I'm granted from above, no more, no less. God chose to set up the church, the church, universal, as his spiritual authority. The church is his body, his agent to do his work in the world. When he was here on earth, he did work through his body, his miracles through his body. Now he went up to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell the church, his body. Now he does his supernatural work and miracles through his body, you, the church. You didn't know you were so important. Through you, the church, I ask God all the time, you know, these, we're all people and we make mistakes and we're human. Couldn't you come up with a better idea to, to change the world or do something? No, he chose you and me. Sometimes we don't understand God's structure of authority, and I'm not speaking about some dysfunctional cult-like control of people's lives, but an ordered and orderly lives functioning within the context of the body of Christ, God's instrument to carry out his purposes on earth. You are part of God's plan to change the planet. Challenging, but also ought to be fulfilling. Look at the human body. The brain directs all the functions. Someone has to be in charge to initiate and coordinate arms and legs, eyes and ears, fingers, toes and mouth. Is there any part of the human body that's more important than the, than the other? Now, you, you could probably ar argue that the heart is more important than the appendix or tonsils or something like that because we can, we can live without one of, the, one of those body parts. However, every body part is important and every part must function in an orderly manner in order for our bodies to be healthy. You just get one little thing out of whack and it messes things up. 
I got thyroiditis once. I don't know if you know what that is. And something that got infected and, and it sent, sent these hormones throughout my body. So all of a sudden I'm overdosing on, on thyroid hormones. And so I, my heart rate, resting heart rate is like 120. I'm waking up at night, my heart's going 120. And I'm going, what in the world is going? I can eat any, I'm losing weight and whatever. And I have this energy and I'm hyper. And, and Judy said, give me some of that. I want some of that energy. No, whatever. And so it, it was crazy. And so I went to the doctor and I said, what's going on? He said, well, you're thyroid's messed up. So he said, you know, so I went, I was hyperthyroid up on the upper end. And then he says, it'll, it'll take a while and then it'll come down. Then you go hypothyroid and then you go under that and you'll be sluggish and you'll gain your weight back and you'll do all that other stuff. I said, okay. And sure enough, that's what happened. And, and it seemed to me, there's this little thing called the thyroid. It's just, you know, it's, it's you what's know, important. And if it doesn't function properly, my body doesn't function properly. All of us are a body part. All of us are important. All of us need to be in the flow of the body of Christ and under God's authority and working together. And if we do that, then we can be a healthy body. You may be a thyroid. You may be the appendix. You may be the heart. You may be whatever it is. But God has placed all of us in the body as important parts to function under his authority and his structure. And we can experience the power of God through Jesus as we stand united and connected to the body, under authority, exercising authority, experiencing the power of God's Holy Spirit as he flows through his body, the church. The authority we exercise will be the result of the authority we obey. If we refuse to submit to authority, we never have real authority and can never have real faith or never have real power. Now, we don't make miracles. We place ourselves under Jesus. He makes it happen. And he's just waiting for us to ask. The question today is, have you placed yourself under Jesus' authority? Is he your boss? Is he your leader? Is he in charge of your life? And are you connected to the body, the church, the local church, so that you can live out that life and bring to this body what you have to contribute. God doesn't need the church to do his work, but he has chosen the church to do his work. So do you need a miracle today? God wants to do miracles. He may want to do it through you, in you, for you. See the need. Believe the message. Have hope and faith. Recognize Jesus' authority and place yourselves under Jesus' authority then all we have to do is ask five elements to the making of a miracle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have an incredible example of a, of a, a pagan Roman who, who you used, who had great faith and who had great understanding of your authority. I pray that we would begin to understand what you want to do in our lives through us and that you have placed the church in a very significant place as your plan to save this planet. I pray that we won't be prideful or arrogant, but that we would be humbled, that you would use us in such a way, and that we would place ourselves under your authority. And God, that you would use us. And Father, that we would see miracles. And we thank you in Jesus' name. We're going to move to a time of communion now, and you don't have to be a member of this church to 
take of communion. Just that you know Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Uh, we'll be inviting the ushers in a moment. They'll be distributing the elements. We just ask that you hang on to the, the bread and the juice until we've all been served, and then we'll partake together. And uh, while it's being passed out to all of you, um, then we will be um, worshiping, and the worship team will lead us. So, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand, shall we, as we worship together. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and unity of the Holy Spirit guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Everybody have a blessed Thanksgiving. God bless you.